0: You're listening to Stranglehold. I'm Lauren Chulgin. And
1: I'm Jason Moon.
0: And this podcast has been a little different than most political podcasts, I would say. We've been focusing less on the candidates and more on the institution of the New Hampshire primary and the power that this thing has had for so long and what it looks like now.
1: And that is why we were pretty excited. Very excited. When we got this voicemail from a listener.
2: Saved message sent by a public caller. Friday, November 1st. Time, 10, oh. 9 a.m.
3: Good morning. This is Representative Marjorie Smith calling.
1: It was from a longtime New Hampshire Democrat, Marjorie Smith, who wanted to show us something.
3: I thought you might be interested, or I hope you'd be interested, in an invitation to what might very well be one of the last old-fashioned New Hampshire primary chat. Um, and to see how at least it used to be done and what the value is in it without all the game playing. So I'd love to hear from you. And in any event, love to um, perhaps commiserate with you about what I see as the death death of the New Hampshire primary.
0: The last old-fashioned primary chat, the death of the New Hampshire primary? This is like made for stranglehold. Obviously, we're going. She lives in a very beautiful house. Uh-oh. This old-fashioned primary chat that she invited us to, it was a house party for Colorado Senator and, of course, presidential candidate Michael Bennett.
1: now, house party in the context of the primary, that usually means a candidate comes to someone's living room and the owner of that living room invites over their friends and neighbors. That sounds kind of boring now that I've described it, but it's important to know that house parties they have this special place in the mythos of the New Hampshire primary. Right.
0: The boring is kind of the ideal thing, right? It's just a bunch of people talking to each other. It just so happens that one of them's running for president and then the rest are just sure. your everyday normal voters and it's direct democracy at its finest in the in the legend of the thing.
2: Right.
1: That's the house party. So we show up to Marjorie's house party about an hour early. Walk Marjorie. up to her house. It's this beautiful house on the river, mm-hmm. and we ring the doorbell. Hello.
3: I'm in the corner and I see a microphone. Yeah. Oh, that's a bad sign. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Lauren. I'm Marjorie Smith. Great to meet you. Hi, Jason. You. Good to Hi, see you Hi, Jason. Again. Come on in. Thanks for having us. My pleasure. I'm very excited about the invite. Well, I don't know. Why would you be very excited about the invite? Don't Marjorie, you get see. lots of invitations? <laughs>
1: So Marjorie Smith, she's a major figure in the state Democratic Party. She's had a hand in lots of big pieces of legislation, but she's not a household name. She's more of an institutionalist.
0: And you could see that clearly the minute that we walked into her living room, because as we're getting settled to talk to her, I spotted this framed picture of President Obama holding a child and then some guy with President Bill Clinton. Turns out the child is her granddaughter and her son is the one next to President Clinton. Evidence well. that politics is not new to you, clearly. Politics is not new to me, no. See. Politics is not new to me. She's kind of like reaching through these photos. There's a stack of them all leaned up against each other. So. And she reaches back in the stack of frames, and she's looking for one oh, in particular. That's, that's gore. Oh, yeah. her husband, wait. Oh, this
3: is Peter and... Hillary, wait. Uh, this is what I'm looking for. No, this is what I'm looking for. There I am Whoa. when I'm a baby. And that is, if you were a lot older, you would not have to know than see the name. You would recognize the face, but that's
0: Franklin
1: Roosevelt Jr. So um, clearly the who, political um, connections run deep in this household. You
0: could say that. Eventually, we sit down in her living room and start to chat. And we asked her... What did you mean by the death of the primary?
3: I believe that the Democratic National Committee has moved aggressively to create what I think of as a national primary rather than a state-based primary.
0: So, of course, this is an idea that a lot of people around here have been talking about, that because the DNC has set these thresholds for the debates that are based on national polls and national fundraising figures, that's taking away from New Hampshire's power.
3: I think that that has created something that I don't believe is helpful. I don't. Those are not debates, we call them debates, but they're not, they're dog and pony shows.
1: Right. But Marjorie is also saying here that that pressure for candidates to hit those national numbers, that that's not just taking power away from New Hampshire. It's changing how the primary actually happens here in New Hampshire on the ground and for the worse, in her opinion. Marjorie sees the primary shifting away from these small, intimate events in people's living rooms to bigger and bigger events that feel more scripted and are more focused on How it's going to look on social media.
0: And Marjorie's concerned that there's going to be ripple effects to this. She's already seen some so far, potentially even in this podcast, talking about bird dogging at candidate events. If you don't remember bird dogging, you should check out episode six. So the point Marjorie's making here is that as candidates have grown more prepackaged, so too have voters questions. The bird dogging offends me. Huh.
1: Because it's contrived. Or she'll point to how the selfie is becoming the most common form of voter-candidate interaction.
3: Where's the substance? Where's the substance?
0: A lot of people wait in that
1: line.
3: I know. I know. So it obviously has a meaning. Yes. But is it the meaning that is central to deciding who should be the president of the United States? I don't know.
0: So... This is really why Marjorie invited us over to this house party for Michael Bennett. It's not really about Michael Bennett at all. It's about seeing the house party and showing us why this style of campaigning is better for democracy than a selfie line.
3: I should probably see what's happening.
0: And with that, people start kind of slowly filing into her house and Marjorie immediately <laughs> switches into host mode. You can tell she's done this a few times. Now, help yourself, because uh, the butler is not available.
2: Uh,
1: So people start to come in, uh, I don't know, maybe 40, Mm -hmm. maybe more. Um, The folks are mostly older. Uh, There's a handful who are current or former local politicians. There's some chit-chat, there's some snacking, and then eventually Marjorie ushers everyone upstairs to a room where Bennett is going to speak.
3: You're probably wondering why I brought you all together. And I brought you all together for really a great reason and an old New Hampshire reason. And that is, I am trying hard to keep alive what makes New Hampshire the perfect breeding ground for presidential candidates. And fortunately, I found a live one.
0: So Michael Bennett gets up, starts to do his, you know, stump speech thing.
3: Extremely grateful uh, to have the chance, Marjorie, to be here with all of you. And in this beautiful place, what an incredible house and what an amazing
2: setting.
0: And while Bennett is talking, I noticed Marjorie, she kind of stands behind him a little bit hovering. And she's watching the crowd, you know, very intently. And at first, I couldn't really tell if she's just trying to, you know, assess the room soak in the moment for herself or more that she's trying to make sure everyone is paying attention and trying to get from their faces what they're getting out of it
3: so I, I have a couple of a uh, couple of questions uh, and I, I the, the answers for you can be yes or
0: no. I'm actually asking a question on behalf of my 14-year-old, who's not able to join us in the room Thank at the moment. You. My husband's got a video so we can show her your reply. She's home doing homework.
1: Yeah. But could you be more broad about you know how you really can generate the revenue to do yeah. the things that need to yeah. be done in this country? That's a great question. So, and you know, it's so, heartbreaking. Well, you
3: know, that, That's what I feel like we're leaving to our children yeah. and our grandchildren. Yeah. A world of bullshit, yeah. <laughs> that the last point I totally agree with.
1: And, and I think last this last is is really what Marjorie wanted us to see, the question and answer period where, you know, regular people were able to ask questions about whatever they wanted. Mm-hmm. There were real back and forth. By my count, Bennett took 11 questions and stayed well beyond the, the point at which, which his staff wanted him to leave.
0: And some of the questions that people asked, they were about the exact thing we were talking about with Marjorie, the power of the primary.
2: I'm sorry, Marjorie. <laughs> so this is, this is what I want to
0: say. People in New Hampshire have a big
2: responsibility. And people in New Hampshire are confused about what to do with that responsibility. Um, I know a few people who have their candidate and they're committed, but I know many more, as I said, are confused. So, how are you going to win New Hampshire? <laughs> by by unconfusing you. No. By, look, how I, much think time that's, will you spend I I'm gonna spend I mean, a lot of time here and the and the way I'm gonna win it is by being in r-
3: living room after living room after living room after living room, answering every question that Margie will let me answer and <laughs> and 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 cutting me off when I've gone on too long. I mean, I that's what I'm gonna do. That's how I'm gonna do it. And
1: so clearly Bennett is team Marjorie when it comes to how the primary is supposed to happen. But I think we should say here that living rooms are basically Bennett's only choice at this point. Yeah,
0: because he's polling very, very low. He is really trying to make as any inroads he can as far as name ID. And it's November.
1: So it could be principle, or it could just be the realities of the situation.
3: Uh, I'm sad to say this, but if I don't
2: leave, I'm going to miss my flight, and then we'll miss my dental appointment in the morning, which, you know, that won't be good.
0: So after Bennett finishes, people are starting to get their coats and say their goodbyes to Marjorie. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you. It was delightful. Thank
3: you. He's a hot tomato.
0: Well, you could
3: say that. I mean, I think he... I don't know what a hot tomato is. It means it's really good, okay. I like them a lot, and uh, I thank you for putting this together.
0: Anyway, after most people have left, Marjorie looks at us, and she says... So I rest my case. You rest your case?
3: I rest my case. What you saw tonight was unstaged, unprogrammed, no uh, planted questions, Um, a group of thoughtful, concerned New Hampshire voters who asked questions and listened, and they gained
0: energy, and so did he. And, you know, there is some truth to what she's saying. There was no bird-dogging. Voters did get to have exchanges with the candidate, and... You know, afterwards, Michael Bennett told us that it did stick with him. So you could see what Marjorie was talking about.
1: But we should also say that Marjorie gets how this will sound.
3: It's stuffy and it's old fashioned and it's naive. And I understand all of that.
1: But she really also believes that this way of campaigning is better for all of us.
0: Marjorie uses this metaphor that I've been thinking about a lot, which is that the New Hampshire primary used to be like shows that wanted to get on Broadway but had to go to smaller places first to make sure that they were good enough for Broadway. And the idea there is that candidates would come here to learn and grow and kind of figure things out. They'd pick up things from voters. Their character would get shaped by the experience. And then by the end, only the best shows would make it to Broadway.
3: It is the only way that we can open up the possibility to people who don't arrive fully formed with a retinue of people who will tell them what color shirts to wear and what to say and who to talk to and who not to talk to and don't whisper in their ear and say, that person's important, that person we don't know, don't worry, don't bother with them. And that's what happens happened in the New Hampshire primary and that is changing
0: So that's one vision of how the primary should be done, small conversations in a small state between voters and candidates, a training ground but you know we also wanted to see a different perspective we wanted to talk to somebody who sees that the primary is changing but thinks it's a good thing
1: Right. So something like the opposite of a house party.
0: With a long selfie line.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to that after a break.
0: So. If House parties represent one style of the New Hampshire primary, perhaps the opposite experience is the rally. One person who's been holding a lot of rallies lately is Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. And we went to a recent rally of hers at a high school in Exeter, New Hampshire, about 20 minutes or so from Marjorie's house. And people are already lining up inside the high school through the hallways to get in. In fact, we should walk down and see how long the line is.
1: there's, there's check-in tables. There's vendors selling stuff. It's kind of like the difference between like going to a small party at your friend's house versus like going to the club.
0: The club? <laughs> I haven't been to many clubs, Jason. Utah, but
1: I've never been to a club. There are there
0: are lines outside them that I've driven by. I so just in from, that the, sense, from the
1: movies. From the movies. The
0: movies. Yeah. All right. Well.
1: Anyways, um, we didn't want to just experience this on our own. We wanted guides for the experience like we had at the House party. So we reached out to the Warren campaign to set us up with someone who would be excited about the rally, someone local.
2: this is Warren. Nice to meet
0: you. So we meet our guides in the lobby of this high school where Warren is giving her speech. Their names are Deborah Altshiller and Gabby Grossman, and they're both Democrats. They're also both state reps like Marjorie, but they're younger and haven't been around as long as she has. So we fill them in on the experience we had at Marjorie's house party and how Marjorie thinks the New Hampshire primary is dying.
1: Well, one of the questions we have is. Um Obviously, when we were at the house party with Marjorie, like, that sense of community was really obvious, and people were, like, really close, and it was very intimate. In her
0: house. Yeah. Yeah.
1: In her home. Yeah. Do you feel like you can achieve a a similar kind of community in a larger venue like this, where you have lines of people? Absolutely.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. How many people, like, if we went out right now, between the two of us, we would know, like, two-thirds of the people that are in line, because this is our home. These this I'm going to run into half of these people at Market Basket after this, actually, (laughs) you know, and then we're going to pick up our dry cleaning next to each other and be like, oh, I just
0: saw you at the thing. So from then on, Deborah and Gabby like make it their point to show us how an event like this can still be just as effective as a house party at Marjorie's.
1: Right. And to make their point, they lead us into this big cafeteria where this huge crowd is waiting for Warren. And Deborah starts kind of leading us into the crowd to introduce us to all the people she knows.
0: Like she literally was like squeezing us through this massive crowd of like 700 people just to meet like three people, and then meet another person, and then another person. Just different. Like
2: right now, here's one person that I sing karaoke with. Oh, that's for, Yeah, we do karaoke every where March. Do you, where do you do karaoke? <laughs> so, At the big Planned Parenthood karaoke event. Are you kidding? <laughs> <getting laughs> it? It's annual now. we
0: my about daughter to... and I. Are... And we're not even done with the karaoke discussion. And then Deborah starts kind of dragging us over to talk to. Another couple. saw you guys wave to Deborah on the way in. How do you guys know her? So, oh my god. Neighbors. You, yeah. We're neighbors. Yeah, we're neighbors and so,
2: much more. And so <laughs> much more.
0: So, they eventually lead us up to the front row where they're going to be sitting for this speech and then they leave because they are going to go have a chat with Senator Warren ahead of the event. Basically, what they told us is this was their opportunity to pitch her on issues that mean a lot to them, that they hope that she considers if her campaign continues. And that was also kind of a moment for me where I realized that there is a big similarity between the House Party and the rally, and that is the political elite around here, they will continue to have access to these candidates, no matter what form the primary takes.
1: Right. There are definitely different levels of access to candidates in New Hampshire. I mean, if you're just someone who lives here, it's pretty easy to see a candidate in person during the primary, but to get them to come to your living room or to get a private conversation with them backstage, that, that takes a bit more. That takes some connections.
0: Eventually, Deborah and Gabby come back to their seats, and then soon Senator Elizabeth Warren comes out to Dolly Parton's 9 to I listened to this
2: in the shower bag.
1: So Warren gives her standard stump speech, and then it's time for questions. And the Warren campaign uses um, a different system than most campaigns to, to do this. They have a system of raffle tickets to choose who gets to ask questions at their event rather than raising your hand. And Gabby, one of our tour guides, is actually the person who pulls the tickets out. So she hops up on stage with Senator Warren.
0: You ready? Oh, look at your cute
2: basket. All right, you're going to hold oh, the basket. I like this. Uh-huh. Here we go. Three lucky tickets. Let's to ask do questions. First one, eight four, six, five, six, seven, four. Do we have someone? Hi. Hi. Um, why did you decide Oh to oh, d- wait, tell me your name. Oh, I'm Natalie. Hi, Natalie. <laughs> Natalie, would you be insulted if I asked how old
1: you are? No, I'm 10.
3: <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Natalie, 10 and ready to do a little democracy. Okay. My
2: kind of gal. Okay, Natalie. Um, why did you decide to,
0: to run for um, to become a president? Whoa. By the way, it just so happens that Gabby apparently knows this girl of the three tickets she picked out of this bucket. This is a girl she knows. So after Warren's stump speech and the three questions, there is, of course, the selfie line. And it's one of those things that Marjorie bemoaned to us as a sign of the end of the primary.
2: Thank you everyone for coming. And the photo line for your selfies will start right over here. And folks with kids, you can come to the front of the line.
0: But perhaps not surprisingly, Deborah tells us she has a very different take on this. She sees the selfie line as a long list of issues, personal issues that people get a chance to present one-on-one to somebody running for president.
1: So we wanted to talk to some people waiting for selfies about this experience. Uh, so near the back of the line, we met a nice woman named Gail oh Rhodes.
0: Yeah, so why do you want to wait in this long line? Because I think she deserves to be thanked for what she's
2: doing, getting out here, as every candidate does. I shook Cory. stood in line to shake Cory Booker's hand
0: just because I wanted to meet in one-on-one. So it's not about... I look in his eyes. I want to look in their eyes. Ooh, what will you see? Well, hopefully they're sold. Ooh. What do you see? Do you see mine? What does it look like? Very nice aura. Thank, Thank you so much, Gail. You're welcome.
1: Near the front of the line, we met Kate Canney and Aaron Basagio.
0: We're trying to figure out, like, what you say up there. I don't know. It's very stressful. Okay, well, let's brainstorm. So what are your ideas going right now? Not much. Nice to meet you. Thank you That sounds very positive. Thank you for being here. That's about it. Thank you for being
2: in the fight. I'm rooting for you. I don't know.
1: So clearly... There's a a wide spectrum of the types of
0: Expectations.
1: Expectations that people Experiences. Ha- have for what's gonna happen during the selfie moment.
0: So then we decided to check back in before we left with Deborah just one last time. And like Marjorie, she basically says to us, I rest my case. Her case though is that large events like this can really create community. It's a thing that can bring people together and energize people. I mean, it's electric, it's electric.
2: And and we are We are that concentrated, boiled down cider that's about to turn into syrup, you know? Like there's no more, there's no more true flavor than when you've like boiled all the rest of it out and you're just about to get that awesome apple cider syrup to put on ice cream. Like that's what is happening in this room right here. Do you make apple cider syrup? Yeah. Don't you? I've never heard of that. What? Never. So I'm going to try them. Yeah, don't get
1: honeycrisp apple cider. So Lauren, yes, we saw two very different versions of the primary that's playing out right now in New Hampshire, mm-hmm. with two very different takes on what that means for the state. What what have we learned?
0: That even in the Democratic Party, among people who have similar goals, who all want the same outcome from the 2020 election. There are very differing views on the best way to pick a candidate.
1: But as you pointed out earlier, one thing that is the same is that both Marjorie and Deborah and Gobby, they all have access. They're all in the front row, whether it's the House party or the rally, right? Oh,
0: yeah. And as long as the candidates keep coming to New Hampshire, I doubt that changes.
1: Part of the job of Secretary of State is being patient. Next time on Stranglehold, the date of the 2020 primary becomes official. And we revisit the guardian of the primary. Patience so that you don't do something and then wish you had waited and, and, and did it later. This episode was reported by Lauren Chulgin and me, Jason Moon. I also produced and mixed this episode. Stranglehold is edited by NHPR's director of content, Maureen McMurray, and news director, Dan Barrick. We had additional editing help for this episode from Erica Janik and Todd Bookman. Rebecca Lavoie is NHPR's digital director. Sarah Plord made our beautifully aggressive podcast graphics. We had original music in this episode from Lucas Anderson and me. Additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Deborah Altshiller, Gabi Grossman, Marjorie Smith, and the Warren Campaign. And, of course, to Lauren's dad, Barry Chulgin, who helped us name this podcast. Stranglehold is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.
0: Okay, you want me to actually like do my job is what you're saying, okay.